Well, thank you, worship team, and uh, Candice, we are keeping that song. We're singing that again. Absolutely. As Candice mentioned, uh, it's the beginning of our new fall series in the book of Philippians. Uh, for a lot of people, they say uh, Philippians is their absolute favorite book in the second half of the Bible. Uh, this profound letter from the Apostle Paul to this little church in Philippi, northern Greece, Macedonia, the very first church planted in the continent of Europe uh, all those years ago. And this little book has been uh, just a source of comfort and strength and joy to millions and millions of people over the last 2,000 years. But first I want to talk about embassies. Every major country in the world maintains embassies in the capital city of other countries. Canada has lots of embassies around the world. There's uh, Canada House in London, England, in Trafalgar Square. Uh, and uh, as many embassies as Canada has, the United States has a lot more of them. And uh, there was a man named John Foster Dulles. He was an American center, and then he became the Secretary of State. So in the United States, the Secretary of State is the guy in charge of all the embassies, the U.S. embassies, all around the world. So this guy was, uh, had a long career, and he was the Secretary of State all through the 1950s uh, under President Eisenhower. And there was a young man who worked for him. His name was Douglas MacArthur II, and he was actually the nephew of the famous World War II general. And so one evening, Mr. Dulles had to call MacArthur at his house, and his wife answered the phone and explained that her husband was not there. And then she didn't know who the caller was, she didn't recognize him, and she just kind of vented. She goes, MacArthur is where MacArthur always is, weekdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and nights, in that office. She had no idea she was talking to her husband's boss. <laughs> and so Mr. Dulles kind of, he was a little shocked, but he just very politely replied. He said, okay, thank you, Mrs. MacArthur, very much for the information. Hangs up the phone and dials the guy's office. And he gave him a straight-up order. This is what he told him. He says, go home at once. Your home front is crumbling. Get home. And uh, it's a wonderful illustration because it just underlies the point that human beings are not meant to work seven days a week, endlessly grinding it out without a break. We can't maintain any kind of a full life. We can't give our family the time, love, and attention they need. We can't give our friends the necessary time to build deep, strong relationships. We don't have time to read our Bible. We don't have time to pray, to serve Jesus in our local church. We can't be healthy. We don't have time for, act, for sports and fitness. We don't have time for travel. We don't have entertainment. All those aspects of life, we can't have a full life if we are a, a crazy, crazy workaholic. No human being can pull that off. But you know who can pull that off? God himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. The overflow of the love between the persons of the Trinity caused God to create time, matter, the universe, planet Earth, plants, rocks, trees, animals, 
and uh, human beings in the first place. But once sin entered the picture, God has never stopped working to redeem this lost, broken, and sinful world back to himself. So as we launch the book of Philippians this fall, I found a key verse, chapter 1, verse 6. This is an amazing verse. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse. We're going to explore that. But I've entitled this sermon, Never Not Working. That's what God is doing in our world, in our lives, in our church. He's never not working. And it's really helpful, I think, when you tackle a brand new book of the Bible uh, to give a little bit of background information. What is going on in this amazing letter? All right, so our first point's entitled Up to Speed. We're going to bring you up to speed on the background information. Well, who wrote this thing? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church in Philippi. Now, it's pretty important to know that Paul's actually under house arrest in Rome. He is actually chained up to a Roman Praetorian guard, and they continually change the guard. And he is awaiting his trial before Caesar. Now, Paul doesn't sit around just kind of moping and say, man, my life's horrible. Oh, I wish I wasn't in jail. He uses the time as absolutely best as he can. And he actually goes on a bit of a letter writing spree. So there is four books in the second half of the Bible that Paul wrote while he was chained up to this guard in Rome under house arrest. The book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Four books were written by Paul under house arrest. And that kind of tells us Paul's heart for the church. Listen to verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. What a beautiful way to start. And for a guy who's stuck in prison under house arrest, it could be all about him. But his opening lines are thinking about other people first. I thank my God every time I remember you. As Paul's there confined to that little room, he is remembering this church in Philippi that he, God used him to plant. And the book, of Acts, the book of Acts tells us in chapter 16 how this church was founded. Paul, at that point, uh, this is almost a decade earlier, had, four, had companions with them, Luke, Timothy, and Silas. And the whole reason they went over to Philippi, the reason they crossed from the continent of Asia Minor over to Europe, was God had given them an incredible vision. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. This is what it says. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So very much a, just a dramatic supernatural call. You have to go to a brand new place. So these guys go on a long boat trip. They finally arrive a little coastal town called Samothrace, and they walked all the way to Philippi. Now, in order to plant any kind of a church, whether it was 2,000 years ago or today, you need a great core of people to start. And God arranges for Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy to meet the key piece, a very intelligent businesswoman by the name of Lydia, right away. Acts 16, 13 to 15 tells us what happened. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. We were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So that woman, Lydia, would go on to become a real key leader in the church in Philippi, and it was her house. She was quite wealthy. She was a dealer in purple cloth, uh, a very profitable business in those days. And if you kind of imagine a low Mediterranean house with a large courtyard, that would have been her house. And that's where this church ended up being planted. It was a house church, and they met in this courtyard. So then God starts to add to this little church that's, that's beginning. And he brings a silver lining out of a really quite crazy situation. We're going to pick it up in verses 16 through 19. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. We read that as a simple sentence, but what a weird thing. Imagine someone following you day after day after day, proclaiming this. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of here. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So this slave girl is freed from demonic oppression. For the very first time in her life, she can breathe. She is free. She's at peace and calm. The text doesn't tell us specifically, but I think it's extremely likely that she would have joined that new little local house church. Then the evil owners who had been exploiting this young lady realized that their whole money-making scheme has dried up. So Paul and Silas get dragged in front of the, fish, the officials. And this is what happens when they do. After they had been severely flogged, that means being beaten, and the Romans had these long sticks and they, they had the perfect kind of width. And it was perfect for this big soldier to grab. And they hurt like anything. So poor Paul and Silas, both are beaten severely. They were thrown into prison. And the jailer was com commanded to guard them carefully. 
When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So they do a heroic good act. They free this girl from demonic possession. And what's the reward? They get beaten and thrown in prison. Now that's an awesome day. That was sarcasm in case you didn't notice. God has control over the situation though. And once again, a beautiful silver lining is brought out of a really bad situation. Paul end up, as it says in the text, chained in stocks, probably may have been their hands as well as their feet. Uh, they're chained in the middle of the jail, and at midnight, they are singing. They're actually having a worship service to Jesus right in the middle. And the Lord does an incredible miracle. He does a jailbreak. He causes a small localized earthquake. The doors rattle, the cell doors open, and the chains fall off. All the prisoners could have escaped. The Roman jailer wakes up, realizes that all the prisoners are free, and he pulls out his sword. He knows that a fate worse than death is waiting him. He pulls out his sword. He's going to do himself in. And Paul screams, no, 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 stop, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. No one has left. Pretty incredible. This is what it happens in verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. So through a crazy miracle, God has now added an entire household. And in those days, he would have been married, he would have had children. But when it says his household, it probably indicates all the people that worked for him as well. We're probably talking a group of at least 15 people. And God was growing this local church. And that brings us to verse 40. The end of kind of Acts 16, it says, After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. That's how God began this amazing little church that became a pretty thriving center. And God knew that if a church could be established in that part of Macedonia, of northern Greece, then Churches could continue to be planted all through the country and that continent. And so Paul, obviously, at the beginning, amazing sacrifice to see this church planted. Uh, I've been through some rough things as a pastor, but I've never been beaten with rods and thrown in jail. Uh, that's quite a price to pay to see a church planted. And at least three times we know that the Philippian church was amazing back to Paul. They continually prayed for him, and they specifically three times raised money and sent it to Paul to make sure that he was looked after, that he had a funds to keep going, he and his companions, and plant the next church. Pretty amazing. Now, Paul had a great relationship with all the churches he planted, but some were tougher than others. If you read the book of uh, Corinthians, the little church in Corinth, that thing was just a gong show. It was a mess. And uh, you can almost sense when you read it, Paul's like ripping his hair out about this church. Very different in Philippi. They had this amazing back and forth uh, love relationship. Now, you kind of get the whole sense of the the background to Philippians. 
But when I stopped and I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing the sermon, I thought, man, look at the incredible lengths that God went to to see a local church planted in this little small town. And then I thought, you know what? Wait a second. Look at my own life. Look at the lengths God has used in my 50 years on planet Earth to bring me to this place. And I think that's true for every single one of us who's sitting here this morning. If you stop and think and go, yeah, actually, when I think back, wow, God has done some incredible things. Sometimes it's, it's rescue in the midst of awful, hard, really horrible things. Sometimes it's an incredible moment of blessing that causes us to drop to our knees in gratitude and thank. Whatever it is that God has used in your life to bring you here to this point today, I think our response needs to be grateful. Gratitude. And that's truly the pattern that all through history, God will use whatever means necessary to reach a person. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying, Pain in life is often God's megaphone to a deaf world. Sometimes that's the only thing that wakes us up. God allows us to go through a season of really difficult, hard things, and we finally go, okay, I raise the white flag, I surrender, there must really be a God. Other times, it's Romans 2.4, which says it's your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. For some people, it's, it's that immense blessing And they're just so grateful, they're just so thankful, and they have nobody to thank. And that's what brings them to God. Whatever it is, God will use whatever means necessary to bring people to faith. He will also use whatever means necessary to see a local church planted and thrived. And I just think that should give us incredible confidence as believers It is true that God is never not working. He's always at work. And that's our second point. Jesus, never not working. I want to tell you about a football player. His name is Troy Palamalu. And uh, he was a star for the San Francisco 49ers, but mostly for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This guy was a fierce defender. Every time wide receivers caught the ball, they feared this guy. He would bolt like a... Stroke of lightning, you get in there and boom, down they go. He was just tackling people all the time. So he's an interesting dude. He grew up in California, but his parents are from Samoa, the South Pacific Island. And so kind of in a nod to his uh, Samoan heritage, he always had super long hair. And uh, sometimes you can see it streaming out the back of his helmet And so the Head and Shoulders Company, once Troy Palomalu retired, they thought, this guy has such amazing hair, we're going to choose this guy as our spokesperson. And so there's a whole series of hilarious Head and Shoulders commercials, and uh, they're all themed after never not working. So we're going to dim the lights and uh, fire up this commercial. I hope you enjoy it. Supermarket sushi, really? No, wait, Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working, huh? Oh, Troy, you're such a good teacher. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Never not working. Never not working. 
Never ever not working. Are you serious? Never not working. Standard protection that's never not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield technology. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh. I think it's when he's the dentist. He's just coming right in. He's like, ah! What Troy can't actually do in real life, he can't do all these jobs and all these careers all at the same time. The triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is doing. He's never not working. I want to read those verses for us again. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That verse just kind of rocked me this week. I think it's actually kind of a mind-blowing verse. That is the best emoji ever. I'm going to start using that one in my phone. I never use that one. The first thing that jumped out at me, it says, he who began a good work. You know, sometimes Christians use the language of, I found Jesus. After being a pastor for 25 years and watching the Holy Spirit of God work in people's life, bring them to faith, I think it's probably more accurate to say, Jesus found me. This verse acknowledges that. It's the triune God begins a good work in each one of us. Then it says, It's a good work in you. You know, we live in a time and age when there is more anxiousness, more people are stressed out, more unsure of themselves, often struggle with feelings of inadequacy, of simply not being good enough to make it. They look at everyone else's carefully created social media profiles and think, I haven't got it all together like that person. My life is just a train wreck in comparison. But I love the truth of God's word because it flies in the face of that. It says it upends that kind of garbage thinking. And in fact, I think it's an insult to God when we say we are worthless or we are no good or our life is a shambles. That's an insult to God because he is doing a good work in us. And you know, the 12 and a half years that I've been the pastor here at Ocean View, I've seen God work in many, many people's lives. And I look at where they started to where they end up, and I truly can say without overstating it that God has been creating something beautiful in their lives. God has done that for each and every one of us sitting here. What our job is, is ultimately to say yes God is willing to do that work in us, but he won't do it if our arms are folded and we're refusing to let him in. We can't live the Christian life with our, with our hands over our ears screaming, sorry, not listening. God will do his work, but we have to say yes. And then the third part of that verse, it says, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is so comforting and so reassuring. Your Christian life, your development over a lifetime is not all up to you. Not the best news ever. 
I think if it was all up to you and I, if it was just us trying really, really hard and we had some sort of daily checklist and we're like, man, I got to go out in the streets and share my faith. I got to read my Bible. I got to do 10 chapters today. I got to pray for five hours. I got to, if we would just stress ourselves right out. But that's not the way the Christian life is designed. God says, you say yes to me and I'm doing the work inside of you. I'm the one who will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen instantly. God doesn't fix us in a week. It's over the path of a lifetime. And I think that's why Paul says, until the day of Christ Jesus, meaning until the day Jesus one day comes back. Nothing is perfect until that moment when Jesus comes back and wraps up history. At that point, we get to be resurrected, perfected. It'll be amazing. But in the meantime, it's a journey. And as we've pointed out many times, it's not a 45-degree straight shot to the top. It's more like this. There's ups and downs, but over time, there's progress. Over time, that verse is absolutely true. It's God who carries on that work in us and completes it. Our job is to say yes to the changes that he wants to do. I want to say to our teenagers in here today that it is so easy in this day and age, in your environment in high school, in your environment where you're looking at TikTok and and Instagram, that it's so easy to compare yourselves to other students. And I want to remind you this morning that comparison kills. That is not a healthy way. It's not God's design. He is doing a beautiful and a good work in you. You don't have to compare yourself to others. Maybe for some of our single adults, maybe there's times of loneliness and sadness and, and you, all of a sudden you, you come to a church and you feel that tug to, to get involved. But it's kind of scary because you don't know anybody. And I want to say to all of our singles, at whatever age they are today, when you feel God's tug inside to get involved in community, maybe that's a mentor partnership, maybe that's a a Connect, Grow, Serve group, maybe that's just simply serving and getting to know people as you serve. Whatever it is, it's your job to say yes to that call. Embrace community. Parents of young children, You may get to a point where you find yourself just so overtired because you don't get to sleep at night that you are really short-fused with your kids. Maybe you yell at them too much. Maybe you actually don't totally enjoy being around these little rugrats. And our culture tells us the only antidote to that is me time. Get away from your family. Go to the spa. Go shopping. Do all the things you want to do. Now, there's some truth in that. Some balance in life is good. But if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, you actually have to deal with some things in your own heart as a father or mother. Then your job is simply to say yes. To say, Lord, give me patience. Give me strength. Give me energy when I don't have it so that I can make a home that is peaceful and loving for, to raise kids in. I could go on with a million examples, but you get the idea. We say yes, God does the work inside of us. Well, Paul loved all the churches that God planted through him. As I said, some were more difficult, like the church in Corinth. 
But the church in Philippi, he truly, deeply loved this church and these people. And that's where we end with verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that little phrase in there. It says, all of you share in God's grace with me. You know, all of us have a lot of different gifts and abilities that God has raised up within us. That's what a church is, combining all of the different individuals into one body. Yesterday, we had an amazing uh, memorial service for Ainsley Young. She and her husband, Bill, were a part of this church for, for six years, I think it was, and they contributed a lot when they were here, and they were just an amazing couple. And uh, it was a privilege to perform that memorial service yesterday. And in testimony to her beautiful life, at least a third of the crowd was here didn't have a clue who Jesus was. But they came because of Ainsley. It was amazing. And at the end, when we were cleaning up, I started to count how many people it took to pull off that service yesterday. Jen Arnold is our new admin assist. She did a phenomenal job preparing all the, the video stuff, the tech, as well as a beautiful bulletin. My wife, Lori, did an incredible job of the food. Ed and Leon, Vince and Betty, uh, Carol, Francis, all were amazing worker bees in the kitchen. Uh, Ray Gorley did an incredible job of the music. Bonnie and Jason took care of the audiovisual and the live stream. And in fact, Bill had family in Scotland. They had a whole crew in Scotland watching that service yesterday. And I thought, you know what? That's one simple thing a church does, a memorial service. And look at what it took. All these people bringing all their gifts and abilities. And that verse, all of you share in God's grace with me. That is so true. At the deepest heart level of a church, the, foot at the, or the ground at the foot of the cross is level. All of us, simply, no matter what role we have, we all share in God's grace. We all stand equally receiving what God has given to us. And out of God, gratitude, not out of some sort of compulsion or stress or franticness, then we want in turn to honor Jesus with our time, with our effort, with our money, with our prayers. It was true in Philippi, and it's true here at Ocean View. So what do I want us to walk away with this morning? I want us to simply walk away with an incredible reminder that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, are never not working. God is always transforming you and I to look more like Jesus. And he's doing it corporately with us as a church. Our job is simply to say yes. Amen?